0: You're about to hear an amazing founder's journey of how Kat Maryfield's dedication to curing both her family and herself with natural medicine brought her to star Cats Naturals. Using only 100% American grown organic hemp, they offer a variety of sublingual CBD oils, edibles, pet, and skincare products. As a special offer to our listeners, Cats Naturals has graciously offered 15% off site wide, as well as free shipping with promo code LITUP. That's L-I-T-U-P at catsnaturals.com. Enjoy.
1: We got married and then 9-11 happened and he was sent to Iraq within months of us getting married. And I happened to also be pregnant simultaneously. And I found out while I was pregnant that I had stage four cervical cancer. So all of these things happened like boom, boom, boom. So he went overseas and I stayed home. And I had been offered the choice, if you can call it that, of aborting my child and doing chemo or allowing the pregnancy to continue and then possibly doing it afterwards. But in my mind, one wasn't even a possibility. I was not going to terminate the pregnancy. And then secondly, I didn't want to put toxic chemicals into my body trying to cure something. So I had decided, you know, I'm not gonna do the chemo, period. I did go through a surgery after he was born, but my focus during that pregnancy was healing my mind. And that kind of came from the, the education I was going through at the same time, where I was learning that from a holistic approach, disease isn't just nestled in the body, it's a response to possible traumas or, you know, mental development that's then been trapped inside your body and needs to come out. And this is your last warning sign, you know, when your body says we're done.
0: Welcome to Lit Up, a founder's journey, a show about the pioneers of the cannabis industry, the organizations they're building, and the lives they're changing. These episodes feature the founders themselves sharing their journey and creating the most impactful ideas of the new cannabis industry. Hey everyone, Brian Weber here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lit Up, A Founder's Journey. Growing up in suburban Georgia, Kat Merrifield took early influence from her entrepreneurial father and nurturing mother. Personality traits of studiousness, curiosity, and drive came to accompany her introverted tendencies. As a young mother with a sick child, the accepted Western therapy for her daughter left her at a disadvantage. Seeking out alternatives, a natural option presented a cure. Enlightened by that experience, Kat focused on natural medicine for her formal education. She later turned to natural medicine herself in her fight with cancer, for her husband to help with PTSD, and eventually friends in treating other conditions. Through a systematic approach, Kat developed formulations that provided relief to specific ailments those formulations are the basis for cats naturals products today. So how does a homesteader, cancer survivor and mother of four turn a side project sold at their home farm stand into a multi-million dollar business in just a few short years? Please enjoy the founder's journey of Cat Maryfield of cats Naturals. One last note there are some mild audio artifacts in the early minutes of the interview. While nothing major, I wanted to point them out and let you know that we resolved them before the whole interview. Also, this was such a great interview, I couldn't cut a moment out of it. For those who want to take this in two parts, the business building part transitions around the 50-minute mark. Enjoy. Kat, thanks for joining today. I really appreciate having you on. Thanks for joining us. Where in the world are you at today? I am
1: in a little town called Dunlap, Tennessee. Yes. It's a beautiful little valley in the middle of nowhere.
0: You're the founder of Cats Naturals. Could you tell us a little bit about your company?
1: Sure. So my company is very customer focused. We want to bring the best CBD and health products that we can. And so we, you know, built our our company off of customers and how they have reacted to our products and continue to have a very, you know, customer focused brand, which you actually get to learn a lot more about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You guys started this, you started this in 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, So you guys have been in business for about five years right now. And I found it very compelling with biodynamic farming that you guys are using and just the, a lot of sharing of information that you had on your website. And the CBD space is a very crowded space. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of information. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. Um, and I wanted to have somebody who was definitely a, as, as a veteran as anybody can be within this space, you know, on the show to, to share that journey. And a lot of that journey and a lot of how you built your business is really a lot about you. Um, not only because your name is, is on the cover of the business, but um, a lot of your values are instilled in that. So I wanted to dig a little deeper with you today, Kat, and go back to the beginning so tell me about your folks. Tell me about your childhood. You know, where'd you grow up?
1: Well, I actually grew up right outside of Atlanta, Georgia, um, in a place called Decatur. And I've always been a very academic, quiet child. I didn't do great socially, but I, uh, I like to study. Uh, I went to private schools, ended up going to boarding school in a little town in Mississippi. And um, I've always, you know, really enjoyed working. You know, I like to get my hands dirty. I like creativity. My dad was actually an entrepreneur and he built several companies starting from a a subcontracting, you know, remodeling construction company to contracting to later on a furniture business. And he only had two girls and apparently he needed some boys because it was kind of like a pick and choose. like. All right, which one of you girls is going to be the boy? And uh, I kind of chose that that job. And
0: so you were an apprentice with him, then. So you were hands on.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he kind of hauled me everywhere, and he did my sister as well. You know, we had to fix our own cars. We had to, you know, fix our own mistakes. Uh, he was he was definitely the kind of man that pushed you to strive harder and deeper. But it was still very encouraging. You know, he didn't let you get away with anything, and I think it helped build my deep values. For you know, I have my own stipulations. You know, of how I run my business, how I run my home, how I raise my children, how I how I keep myself in check. And so, with all those checks and balances, you know, it, it with transparency throughout all of the things that I've done.
0: So with him, I mean, did he still uh, in a nature of hard work in you and fortitude and practice and methodology for doing these items?
1: I think it was a mixture of my personality and his push. You know, there was, there was several times throughout my adult journey and through, you know, the businesses that I've created where I've wanted to quit or I've wanted to cry about it or You know, I've wanted to throw everything in and say, forget this. And I always hear his voice in the back of my head saying, what's that going to do for you? Is that going to get you anywhere? No. So, you know, that it was a big deal that I didn't understand when I was younger. But I'm so appreciative of now.
0: Yeah. Those dividends have paid. Definitely uh, being an entrepreneur is one of the hardest things that you can do, I think, except for being a parent uh, of which you are many times over. Um, what about your mom? How did she impact you, who you become today?
1: So my mom was like the one who was steady. She always kept everybody's heads level. She was a secretary. Um, both of my parents are actually 76. My dad's passed away now, but um, so she was raised with that very fundamental value of the mother steers the ship. You know, she was always there. Um when she had to go back to work after, you know, I hit time to go to school, or my sister did, and she went back to work, you know, we we went over to her office after school and I would watch her work and, you know, help her a little bit and play with some of the other kids that also followed their parents to work. And she was always creative. She, you know, definitely got us together to go on hikes and, and, you know, made sure that the family stuck together.
0: Yeah. Okay. So your dad was the one that was out there hustling, figuring things out. And your mom was, let's, you know, here's consistency that that you need here and, 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 and have that foundation of a base uh, within the family.
1: Exactly. And she was always... Very upbeat, like nothing could get her down.
0: To be married to an entrepreneur, you have to be. You um, <laughs> <laughs> should always find
1: the bright side of life.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay, so growing up, so you had your mom as a steady Eddie, and you had your dad as the entrepreneur, and you're the apprentice coming along. Um, what about your sister?
1: So my sister and I are 10 years apart. Okay. So we were basically raised into separate families. And we joke about it, but she was raised when my parents were very wealthy and they always had it easy, you know, and my mother was a stay at home mom when she was raising her. And so were very, very different. Also, we had the seventies and the eighties, you know, I was in the eighties, she was in the seventies. So there was a difference in the dynamic of the family. Mm-hmm. And then She got married and moved out when I was nine. Okay. And so we didn't really know much of each other until I got married and started having children. And we happened to have her last two and my first two within months of each
0: other. Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. So we kind of rebonded and then we raised our children, you know, 10 miles away from each other and saw each other so often. And we all have a very close family, so the grandparents help to raise the kids. The cousins are all playing around each other. You know, there's two moms, even though there's an aunt and a mom and a growing grandma, and there's three moms.
0: That's really interesting. So that's that's a really interesting way to have that reconvene as a, as a family unit. That you know, with such a an age gap, that you guys were able to to reconnect over. At what time in life was that you had a chance to reconnect with your sister?
1: I was actually 23 and she was
0: 33. Okay, so you were definitely into your adult life at that time. But mm-hmm. growing up as a kid, though, you said your sister moved out at nine. So you mm-hmm. largely grew up on your own. Yep. And you had mentioned in the beginning of our call that largely you were an independent kid. I mean, you were very studious. You were very focused. How did that affect your childhood growing up and, and getting into to boarding school and to, to college?
1: I mean, I was always kind of a learner, like I liked to read. I liked to play make-believe games and I didn't mind if I was by myself. And so I, I think going to boarding school was more of a cultural shock where I was stuck with all these kids all the time. Mm -hmm. So no parents there. And so you're, you're thrown into this new environment at the age of 14. And I did, I still did well academically, but I started to struggle um, emotionally. And of course, you know, you're going through the teenage woes anyway. Yeah. And then 50 other girls. Oh. And um, so I I definitely went through a lot of anxiety that I didn't know how to label it at that time.
0: You just felt uncomfortable about something and you didn't know that that had that name.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to the point where I almost never left my room in my last year. Oh, wow. You know, I just, I couldn't handle being around everybody's crazy energy. The, um, the drama was more than I could handle. And when I was finally done, I can't tell you how happy I was.
0: <laughs> and, this, and this was for high school, right?
1: Right, right. Okay. You're right. So I actually graduated um, when I was 17 because I kind of did a fast pace Through my junior and senior year.
0: Yeah. Talk about motivation to move through that, right?
1: Yeah. I just wanted, I wanted to be done. And um, so it was challenging, but it actually plays into the story of the CBD actually, because I learned to internalize the anxiety. And then as I started to get older and, you know, I got married and I had children and it just became a background noise where I didn't think about the fact that I was anxious. I just knew I didn't really enjoy people.
0: Okay. So this is, th- without a proper treatment, right. this really affected who you became yes. that you didn't either have a therapeutic way to deal with these feelings that you had and not even just treating the symptom, but you didn't seek out counseling or any other ways to deal with this either. Right. So you had lived your entire life all through becoming an adult, you know, with this, with this anxiety around, especially later on in life and um, needed some kind of treatment there. Right. When did you start searching out? Like, I'm kind of over this. I got to figure out what this is.
1: Well, actually my sister was very key in it because I almost feel like I became an adult with her as both a a leader and also a companion. Mm -hmm. And we, we started to explore, you know, more than just one depth of reality. And so the two of us expanded our consciousness together and it helped my anxiety greatly because I didn't have to have resolutions or answers for everything. And then, you know, kind of simultaneously I had to keep moving. And so I would just keep pushing forward from project to project aimlessly really for a while. And at the same time, having children and my second child is when I really got on my path of healing. Um, Because she was diagnosed with RSV when she was three months old. And it was a respiratory disease and it created um, a need to be on a constant nebulizer. And so she didn't develop speech. Um, She had eczema. She had been just constantly sick, it seemed like. And now she was going on about months old. And I was like, come on, is there nothing You physicians
0: can do for her? Oh, man. So you're having that traditional struggle with Western medicine.
1: Exactly. You're
0: not finding those things there. So you were having issues with finding a good therapy for your daughter's respiratory issues. Mm -hmm. What were some of the struggles there? Was that a hard uh, ailment to treat at the time or just something wasn't working there? Or what what were some of those uh, blocks that you had to overcome with her?
1: So really, the only thing that they had to work with was regular traditional um, nebulizer therapies or inhalers. And because of her age, it was only the nebulizer and it was albuterol solution, you know, given three times a day. Um, and like I said, you know, she couldn't, she wasn't developing any speech because it was ruining her, her vocal cords. You know, it was a raspy. Um, she, she wasn't gaining weight really well, you know, it was just stunting her. And I had talked to different doctors and they just said, you know, basically she's going to live with this forever. You know, she's going to have asthma and this is just how it is. And I'd never agree with that's just all it is. You know, the interior of my core says, no, there's got to be another way. So I actually went to a a natural health practitioner Mm -hmm. and asked them and they sent me um, towards a homeopathic which I had never heard of homeopathics before. And they gave me one for her. And within three days, she was off of her nebulizer. And within three months, she no longer had any respiratory issues at all. No cough, no raspy voice. Everything was getting back to normal. And so that was like a breakthrough. And I just said, okay, whatever this is, I need to know more.
0: So you went on this on on faith of like, listen, what we're doing is not working. Let's try some alternatives here. It, it can't be potentially worse than where we're at right now. And you were really amazed by by this turnaround and her reaction to this.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't believe it yeah. because if regular medicine said this is the only way, and natural medicine could virtually cure it yep. in a couple of months, you know, there was definitely something there. And, you know, just because of of who I am, I guess, I immediately said, okay, I got to go to school for this (laughs) because I need to know everything there is about it Um, because I've got other kids.
0: Yeah. Before, before giving this to your daughter, what was some of the research that you did in some of the medicines and like, or was it just like on faith and you're like, you know what, let's give this a shot.
1: It was really just on faith because I didn't, I was young, you know, I was only 22 years old. Um... My parents were traditional medicine type people, and and even though we were healthy, you know, we always grew up eating well, and and we took our vitamins, but that was about where it ended, you know. So they didn't have anything
0: vitamins, and not like you know natural plants from the soil, but things that that come in bottles, right? Those kind of vitamins.
1: Oh yeah, like Flintstone. Yeah, I took my Flintstone vitamins. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I had my Flintstones too. So, uh, so we grew up on that, but this really just opened up your eyes to something that's new just from the empirical evidence of like my daughter is healthy again and this has solved so many other problems that are there so you said that you were going to school for this
1: yes so i enrolled myself in clayton college of natural health in birmingham alabama and did it was correspondence classes and then i would have to go in once a quarter to take tests and things like that and uh I, it actually took me six years to complete my bachelor's because I was, you know, having children, I had to work. So it was, you know, trying to put this into my schedule, but it's one of those things that I had no idea was going to play out in the rest of my life. Yeah, I thought I was just doing this for my family and it turns out it was going to be a huge part of my life.
0: Now, what was your vocation earlier before going back to school on this?
1: Well, I was actually a bartender. Okay. um, Because at this point, I was divorced, and I had two children, and I had to make ends meet. And I care very much about my children's well-being, and they were young, and having them in daycare had given my daughter this respiratory thing. And so I needed a job that would allow me to work nights, So, um, you know, I was bartending at night and on the weekends and my parents were helping out when they could, but it was really, I just, I needed to know everything I could. And I also had an associate's degree in medical transcription, which didn't work out because I'm a terrible typist. (laughs) So, I could never get a job.
0: Okay. Well, uh, we know our strengths and talents going into those things. So, there was some kind of medical curiosity, though, prior to this uh, and getting into this, but uh, not typing, though. Stay away from typing. Right. Stay away Um, from typing. Okay. So, you're a full time mom which is the mm-hmm. hardest thing ever, and then you are bartending to pay the rent, keep, the, keep everyone clothes and food and all those other good things, mm-hmm. and now you're going to school through correspondence school for, for natural medicine. What was the focus of your undergraduate degree there?
1: It was actually um, natural health and nutrition okay. was my bachelor, and then I did go on to get an emphasis in homeopathy because homeopathy is such an intricate science that unlike herbal medicine, it really needed a specialty focus.
0: Could you explain a little bit more about that to people who are not familiar with that? Like, what is homeopathy?
1: So homeopathy is basically a principle of like cures like. So they oftentimes take toxic natural substances like mercury or arsenic, and then they dilute them 100,000 times or more until only the basic energy is left. And then whatever that toxic substance would cause in the body, it will also cure on an energetic level. So if arsenic would cause vomiting and diarrhea and headaches and seizure, then once it's been diluted, you can use that to once again cure those particular ailments.
0: Interesting. Interesting. How does one get experiments on this?
1: Oh well <laughs> after you know going to school, you usually either need to use a practitioner or really be willing to do extensive experimentation.
0: I can imagine a lot of people come to you for accidental mercury exposure if you've ever listened to S <laughs> Town yeah. um, by by accident and you're like, you know, how do we how do we cure all these items? So that is a very interesting focus. But obviously you dived into this. Mm-hmm.
1: And I did that because my daughter had initially been cured from a homeopathic. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was arsenicum, which is the arsenic one.
0: Okay. So you're progressing. You're working as a bartender. You're uh, working through your school here. Give us a sense of time on this. What year is this about?
1: So at this point, I am... Just having my fourth child, it's 2006. Okay. So I graduated two weeks before she was born. Good timing. Yes. I was going to do that. It was my goal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This needs to end. Both of these things need to end soon. So you're still living in Decatur at the time, right?
1: I was actually in Conyers. My husband, um, because I got remarried Mm -hmm. while I was in school, and he was in the military. Mm -hmm. And so we moved to Virginia we lived there for three years, and then we had moved back to my home of record, but my folks had moved a little bit further outside of Atlanta, so we were now one town further than Decatur called Conyers, and we had settled there and uh yeah that was that was about the timeline
0: okay. And now I read in one of your, uh, the articles that you had on you is that y- your husband was, was suffering from some PTSD. Yes. Mm-hmm. Was that the next chapter in in continuation of of your focus on, on natural medicines?
1: Yes, because um, right after we got married, actually. So we got married and then 9-11 happened. And he was sent to Iraq. Um, within months of us getting married. And I happened to also be pregnant simultaneously. And I found out while I was pregnant that I had stage four cervical cancer. So all of these things happened like boom, boom, boom. Wow. Yeah. Um. So he went overseas and I stayed home and I had been offered the, the choice, if you can call it that, of aborting my child than doing chemo or allowing the pregnancy to continue and then possibly doing it afterwards. But in my mind, one wasn't even a possibility. I was not going to terminate the pregnancy. And then secondly, I I didn't want to put toxic chemicals into my body trying to cure something. So I had decided, you know, I'm not going to do the chemo period. I did go through a surgery after he was born but my focus during that pregnancy was healing my mind and that kind of came from the the education I was going through at the same time where I was learning that from a holistic approach disease isn't just nestled in the body it's a response to possible traumas or you know mental development that's then been trapped inside your body and needs to come out. And this is your last warning sign. You know, when your body says we're done,
0: the belief that they were training you on there is that these ailments are possibly energy that's within your body. That is a, a negative energy. And it's coming out the cancer, the ailment, whatever it is, is a symptom of, of some of that, some of that negative energy that you have there just to sum up negative energy and just, uh, exactly for lack of a technical term with that. So how far along were you when you were diagnosed with stage four cervical cancer?
1: I was three months along. Okay,
0: so very early on in the pregnancy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So for the next six months, what are you doing throughout that time? And you said you're focusing on your mental state, but like, what are some of the things that you're doing throughout that, throughout that time?
1: I took up yoga and meditation and very rigorous nutrition. So I was doing a lot of juicing, I was taking um, cruciferous vegetables in a concentrate, which I had read helps with that. Um, I was taking some supplements, um, some B supplements, some magnesium supplements. But more than anything, I was really trying to focus down and learn more about where this particular cancer, because you know, being that it was nestled in the cervix, it was sexually related, so, I needed to peel back this onion and find where did this start and how did it progress so quickly? Because, the, you know, I had had a, a child four years before that. So they hadn't caught it then. So I progressed very, very quickly. Yes.
0: Yeah, so within the last four um, years, that originated then.
1: Exactly.
0: So, what did you uncover then?
1: Well, I uncovered a lot of traumas that I had, you know, just shoved. Mm-hmm. And this goes back into the, um, undiagnosed anxiety as well, because instead of talk about things, I would just internalize them and then they would just go away. You know, I, I wouldn't even think about them, but my body was still harboring all of this stuff that was just, you know, now stacking up on top of each other. And, you know, my ex husband and I had gotten divorced because he had slept around, you know, on me. So that was internalized. And, you know, terrible sexual relationships, you know, through my developmental period, you know, where things just weren't being dealt with. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, my body just said, enough is enough. If you're not going to deal with me on a mental level, you're going to deal with me on a physical level because you just, you don't shake that, yeah. you know. That's
0: a lot. That's a tremendous amount of things that you've had to deal with. Yeah. And you bet your life on that. You... Right, your life. Yeah, on this is my cure. This is my pathway out of this. Yes, and, and I actually
1: refused to be checked afterwards. So I, I did go through the surgery after my son was born, mm-hmm. but I didn't want a doctor to tell me I wasn't succeeding. I wanted my body to tell me I wasn't succeeding, and I knew that I would feel it because you know when you feel sick. Yeah, and uh, so for five years, I actually did not. Get checked. And I got checked on that fifth year and it was gone.
0: It was gone. It was completely gone. I mean, you knew that already, though. I, yeah. You knew that already. Yeah. Wow. That is a huge challenge that you had to go through right there uh, with your husband away, alone. Um, What other kind of support structures were there for you? Obviously you're going, you had school at the time, so you had Mm -hmm. classmates and instructors there. Um, You focus on meditation and yoga. What were some of the other support structures that you had built for yourself during that time?
1: Well, definitely my family. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like I had mentioned before, we were a very, very close-knit family. And so, you know, it was sometimes daily calls, um, and then they would come and visit, and sometimes I would go and visit them. And, you know, it was just a constant love and support. And I'm very, very blessed in that way. You know, a lot of people don't have close-knit families like I do. And that was key. I mean, even my husband's family was very, very supportive. His mother came and stayed with me um, during the last month of my pregnancy. And then my husband actually made it home four days before our son was born.
0: Oh, Wow! So that, that was really good. good. Good for the military for for making that happen. I'm sure that was a, a big effort, and thank him for his service to our country. So you bet your life on this, and this is the second time that natural, non Western medicines have have provided a cure to to ailments in your family. Mm-hmm. Um, your husband comes home from. Is this is was his deployment over permanently? Was he? Yes. Okay, so this was his last time away. When did his PTSD start surfacing?
1: Uh, The minute he got home. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was as if a stranger came home because when he left, he was, I would, I would almost classify him as, as a sensitive man, you know, very in touch with his feelings. And when he came home and, you know, mind you, he's 22 years old and nobody's prepared for war. And he went over there during the fall of Baghdad, and he was with the First Army, and so they were right on the front lines, and he saw and did things that he wasn't prepared for. And so when he came home, I wasn't, as a young mom who was going through these things, prepared to deal with my husband being emotionally broken. So he did a lot of drinking, and... It was very difficult for us as a family to, you know, just deal with everything that was happening. Yeah. And he did not get help because they were told during that time that anybody who admitted to having PTSD would have repercussions within their unit. Oh, And we were watching a lot of, a lot of soldiers just fall apart families crumble and we didn't want to be those people you know
0: you turn to substance abuse there's abuse these things show themselves mm-hmm. in, in many different forms mm-hmm. that's that's a real shame that that wasn't supported from from within the organization from within the military obviously through some failed attempts through you know trying to solve the pain by by drinking when did your training click in of like i we might find some other cures here that that have worked for our family before
1: Pretty early on, um, we started you know, working on him herbally, mm-hmm. and the first thing we did was detox him because he'd been exposed to um, uranium, and so we started detoxing him, and that helped a little bit, not his emotions, but at least his physical person, and then we started going through some different herbal treatments for you know, just stress, different teas, um, helping him get back into a good diet. And then he started talking with other soldiers who had been over there. And so they would just have, you know, heart to hearts and kind of get things out and, and things, things normalized. Okay. But he dealt with it for a long time. He was redeployed six years later after he was out of active duty. He was called back and went back overseas for the rebuilding of Iraq. And that was an amazing emotional builder for him, though.
0: That had to be a hard choice to be able to, to go over there. I mean, obviously, if you get redeployed, that might not be a choice. But what time of year was that? Was this around, like, twenty?
1: That was 2010, yeah. Okay.
0: So to this point, though, you were doing some things, and he was going to, if you want to call it group mm-hmm. therapy, Um, and you were doing some ailments on there. How did that help him going over there for the second time?
1: It helped him a lot because he was able to, um, he was working with some Iraqis and then the British Army. And so he was able to talk with some of the people that had been his enemy in the original deployment. And I remember he said that there was a really pivotal conversation that he had with a sheik and he said you know the sheik told him if we lived in another time and our skin was a different color our children would play together and my husband agreed and it was the first time he had really acknowledged that these were people not the enemy and so when he came back a layer of that difficulty had sloughed off, but he was still dealing with sleeplessness and grinding his teeth at night and a lot of internal aches and pains.
0: Was the military, did they evolve during this time to be a better support structure for active duty and veterans? Not really.
1: No, no. I mean, he chose to get out. Um, He was actually 13 years in. When he chose to get out because the army wasn't the same as it was before. Not, I mean, they've never been great emotional support. You know, they, they treat you like you're a soldier, Mm -hmm. but the focus of the military had changed a lot. Mm -hmm. And so he just didn't feel like it was the place for him anymore. And that was kind of helpful because when you get away from that mind structure, you're able to start rebuilding yourself.
0: So when did he come home? What, what, time, what time frame was that? Like home for good? So
1: he came home um, for good in 2011 okay. and was never deployed again.
0: When did you guys move to, to Tennessee, to Dunlap?
1: 2012.
0: Okay. So the next year, what prompted that?
1: Well, um, during his second deployment, actually, I had started um, homesteading because we were, we were tired of the rat race. Uh, both of us. And living in Atlanta, you just always feel like all you do is work, pay bills, work, pay bills. <clears throat> both of us were were working at the time. I was actually working for my dad's furniture business. Okay. And um, I was the chair weaver and the upholsterer.
0: Did you have business cards that said that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Repair specialist, I think, was my term. (laughs) Repair
0: specialist, okay. Uh, That's excellent that that relationship has existed for that long. It's got to be very therapeutic to work with your hands, too.
1: It is. It is. We had started to want to produce more of our own things and kind of move away from everything's consumable, everything's, you know, you can throw everything away, You're always spending your money and you're never gaining anything. And um, this also helped me because I'm an insufferable workaholic. And when you're a stay-at-home mom and you only have the furniture business to do, I had to do other things, you know. So um, I was producing uh, laundry detergent and soap and, you know, shampoo, conditioner, lotion. You know, I just started working my way through what is it that we buy? What can we do here.
0: And how can you make things with very simple and probably natural chemicals you don't need to have a laundry list on the side of a detergent box you need probably like three or four three things. ingredients yep
1: right right um, so we had been doing that and then he was deployed and we had expanded the gardens um, to the point where our neighbors had gotten curious because we lived in this suburb you know and we had an acre property surrounded by other people with half to it an acre. And uh, our neighbors were always curious about us, like, why are you doing all this stuff? And so we had built some relationships, and one of our neighbors said, you know, I've got this acre of land behind me, How, why don't you expand the garden back here? And then I'll just take some food, and you have the the property. And, and so we did that, and we were, you know, killing ourselves with this little rototiller. And one of the other neighbors, who was an older gentleman, looked over the fence, and he said, uh... I think you're going to kill yourself. And I've got me a tractor in my garage that hadn't been used in 10 years. So he brings this tractor out. And that was the first time we'd ever been on a tractor. And we grew far too much food and started, you know, just giving it out to the neighbors. And, and then we got this wild idea. Like, well, if we can do this here, we can move and get land and do this for real, and this can be our new job.
0: I love this idea. So
1: that's how we got to Tennessee.
0: Were you guys both on board with that? Yes. So there was no convincing, and they're like, we need to turn a chapter in our lives. Let's, uh, let's do this. Yep. So you found this, from what I could tell from Google Maps, a very cute, quaint, rural town in, in Tennessee. Yes. How did you find Dunlap?
1: Well, um, my sister and I used to take all of our kids on a camping trip once a year. And we'd always go to this place called Cleveland, Tennessee, um, the Hiawassee. And that year, we decided that we would just randomly look through the newspaper and find places for sale and then camp along the way. And so we found one in Dunlap, and we had never heard of the town of Dunlap. But it was right on a river, and it was 17 acres for sale. And so we decided to call them and ask if we could camp there, and they said yes and we absolutely fell in love with this town. It was tiny. I mean, there was only a, a Walmart and a Dollar General and a couple of gas stations, one one traffic light. And the beautiful mountains surrounding it and the Sequatchie River running through it. The kids loved it. And you know, so when we decided to move, the first thing we thought of was, okay, this is 20 minutes from Chattanooga. Brian can get a job in Chattanooga and then we can look in this Dunlap area. And when we went to look, we couldn't find a place. And then the day before we decided to give up and just get an apartment or something, we found this property that was right across the river from that original property we camped on. And we put in a bid, and they took it, and we moved.
0: And there you go. Sold up everything, moved back to suburbia, packed up everything lock, stock, and barrel. Yeah. And uh, did you bring the tractor with you? Did, uh, did you get No, we that? didn't. We had to okay. buy
1: our own tractor later. <laughs> oh, man.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm sure the neighbors missed you. I'm not sure if the garden continued. So, so you're there, you move, family's there, and you start a farm.
1: Mm-hmm. So when we first moved there, we didn't know what we were going to farm. We decided to look at the market and see what was going, you know, and it turned out there was a niche available in pasture-raised meats. Now, this was not something we had practiced in Georgia.
0: Livestock's the- a whole nother volume. <laughs> <nother level>. <laughs> whole nother level. You know, whole if you don't level. if you don't feed the beets, you know, they just kind of wither away. Um, but was what, what time this was okay, this was around 2012. So mm-hmm. was this kind of before the more modern movement of going back to nature and and you know we want to have the evils of factory farming are starting to to become known, and people want to have these more natural sources of, of food.
1: It was right at the cusp of it, and we didn't even know it was happening. Um, you know, we didn't know until we got here, and we found several families that had simultaneously had the same idea, like let's get out of the cities, and we all ended up in the Sequatchie Valley, and there was about six different families, and so we all kind of rallied around each other as we made mistakes, because that's all we did was make mistakes.
0: Very different to your boarding school days where you kept to yourself. You are now reaching out, building a community and learning throughout all this as, as together. And it's so cool to make mistakes. Mistakes are fine because that means you're trying something new. Yes. Was, was that a mindset <clears throat> that you guys had going into this? Did your mother's positive influence come through here?
1: Yeah, and a lot of hard-headedness on both my husband and I's part. Um, And great kids, because our kids were age 6 to 14 at that time.
0: Perfect helper age.
1: Yeah, and they had all been excited about this move, you know, because they'd been working in the gardens, and it was a family choice. Like, we had all said, this is what we want to do, and as an added element, we're going to build a concentric yurt, and we're going to live off-grid, too.
0: You built a yurt? We did, so there was, no, there was no house on the land. You had to build your own structure to live in as well.
1: Well, there was a house. We were lucky okay. because we bought a piece of property that had like a, a trailer. And it was a nice trailer, so it wasn't even uncomfortable. And my sister and her husband and her three kids moved with us. So we had 11 people in this double wide, which is a whole... That's tight. Interesting dynamic. But um, we all built this place out from scratch and had a lot of hard knocks. Um, The first year we did get our structure up so that we could, you know, separate the two families. But it didn't have real windows. We had plastic on the windows and we were hauling our water and, you know, we were living without electricity which
0: this is a, this is nobody a a time was machine. ready for
1: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a bit of a time machine
0: wow that's absolutely an amazing story but like those hardships for what they were now you look back those with fond memories because those really bonded yes. you and you know yes you guys are a unit
1: and we know what we can deal with a lot and my sister and and her husband actually ended up getting a divorce oh. um because you know when you get in a situation like that it's either gonna make or break you. Yep. Um, And so that was okay. She ended up moving back to Georgia, her and her kids. And um, our family stayed and continued to build out this farm. We did pasture-raised pork and poultry. And we made a a great name for ourselves at the market for very high-quality food,
0: See, so these weren't show pigs, but like you built a name of like, I don't have any experience in this, but we're going to do something so good that we're going to, we're going to have a great reputation with us.
1: Yes. And we invited people to our farm because it was really important to me to continue to teach people how to live however you wanted. I I'm very opposed to the slave mentality. I don't think anybody should say the words. I have to, everything's a choice. And so we would invite people out for butcher day and, you know, let them see where their food was coming from. And, you know, we would invite them out to visit the pigs, come for feeding day, um, watch us while we build the yurt, help us build the yurt, you know, learn about all these things with us.
0: How, did, how many vegans did you make uh, during butcher day?
1: Not very many. Okay. Not very many. Okay. Because of, of the way we did it. It was a hands-on experience, yes, but from start to finish, you could see that there was respect there, you know, between the animals and the harvest period, because we didn't call it Butcher Day, we called it harvesting, because it does make people feel better.
0: Everyone except the pig, but yes, I get it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we grew our community that way and became part of the community, and for all the years that we lived in atlanta we knew two families and in the first year of moving to tennessee you know we knew half of chattanooga and it was it was that building experience and just a friendly environment where everybody could learn together. And like you said, you know, it was that back to earth movement that was happening again. And so people were very receptive. Um, the the Weston Price Foundation was really big into the, the pastured meats.
0: Not familiar with that organization.
1: Um, they believe in eating whole foods. So eating the fat from all of the meats, eating, you know, real butter, drinking whole milk, and that that helps with the dental and
0: like these were the things that humans these are the things that humans evolved with throughout right. our history as being human beings, and these are things that we should be incorporating into our lives now because right. and not all these chemicals that we have now. so this fit very well with a lot of your belief systems and yes. that you've grown into over the years. Um, it gave you a community to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And satisfied your thirst for knowledge and, and purpose as well. So were you happy during this time, even with the plastic windows and no electricity?
1: <laughs> Very much so. I mean, it was tumultuous for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely had our ups and downs. And, you know, we had children in different age ranges coming to different consciousnesses, you know? Mm-hmm. So Not everybody was always enjoying themselves. And I had plenty of times when I was sitting on a hillside crying my eyes out while pigs were running everywhere. Um, But through all of it, none of us wanted to turn back. And now, you know, my son, who's 22, and he's married, and he's built his own house. And him and his wife run a farm that her family had started. And they had both lived off-grid so they found each other because of that situation and then my daughter who went through probably the hardest time during our our building and living off grid has actually married and had a child and she's very happy and she's chosen to live on the grid and she still lives in Dunlap but she has taken some things away from it you know she said all the things I hated so much, like having to stoke the fire at two o'clock in the morning, I am so happy I know now because I'm not a weak woman,
0: yeah, and you also appreciate you know the cost of what our comforts are as well, right, and how to get those so we had the pigs mm-hmm. we had the tears. Mm-hmm. When did you start getting into the c b d like when did that when did that when did that transition happen?
1: okay, so this was actually the perfect overlap because we had a, hired a farmhand, and he and I were working out in the garden one day, and I had hurt my back. And this was in 2014. Okay. And uh, he, he handed me a bottle of something, and he said, hey, I brought this back from Michigan. I, I think it's called like CBD or something. I heard that it's supposed to be great for pain. I don't know just try it, see what you think. And so we sat down for lunch. I took some under my tongue and I went to get up from lunch and I was like, oh my goodness, I don't hurt. And I was like, what is this? Because being in natural medicine, I have seen how herbs work with pain and some of them do work, but it's not instant. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, a lot of trial and error with different herbs combining them to get the right effect for a certain type of pain. And I'd never, ever experienced anything like that. And he was like, I don't know. I, I think it's cannabis. But I was like, well, I know cannabis. and That doesn't feel the same. You know, I don't feel anything except better. And uh, so I had to find out what it was. Um, Simultaneously in my little farm booth where we were selling our meat, I had also kind of gone back to my roots of, you know, making my lotions and my shampoo and conditioner. And we had lived, you know, we lived with a gray water system. And so I was selling products that were safe for water systems of all kinds, you know, and that were also healthy and natural. And that kind of brought people into our booth because when you're sitting there with a bunch of coolers, people are like, eh, I don't know what they're selling. What's I'm in sure. the
0: cooler? I don't know. Right, Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But you could have some consumer goods that are packaged and look nice to be on there and kind of sell other things besides just the meat.
1: Right. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to research about this CBD. So the first thing I do is call the number on the back of the bottle. And I get this call service where they're like, Well, you can order it, but we can't answer your questions. And so I was like, Well, who do I ask then if the own company can't tell me what exactly this is? And so I go online and I start trying to find anybody who sells this stuff. And at the time, there was maybe 10 companies.
0: And what year was this again?
1: This was 2014.
0: Okay, so this this is very timely for the first farm bill.
1: Yes, and so I find a few companies and I just started contacting them. And most of them were like, well, you can wholesale for us, but we don't really teach you anything. And so I, you know, I was like, well, somebody tell me, what is this? And they were like, well, it's called cannabidiol. And I was like, well, what is it? They're like, well, it's just CBD, you know, like it comes from cannabis.
0: Like, duh. I was like,
1: okay, you're you're not telling me <laughs> anything here. <laughs> um, so I finally get in touch with a European company. They're um, over in Denmark, and they've been growing and selling hemp products for years and years. And uh, they agreed they had to do a background check on me and make sure that I had what it took to learn from them. But after a six week period, they finally called and said, you know, we confirm we will teach you in exchange for you importing our raw materials and we'll teach you how to formulate with it. And then, you know, we'll have this contract you'll be importing and and we'll be teaching you. And so we did that for the first year and I didn't like, nobody could really tell what exactly cbd did so it was all trial and error so i decided to use my farm booth as a little clinical trial area
0: did some of the laws at the time like what did that look like bring that into the country selling it was there a disclaimer somewhere like you know like you you seem like someone who wants to educate people and not just be like, try it. We're not sure what it is, but it works, you know? But like, you seem like someone who's going to want to have some kind of information out there of like, let us know what you think here, but, uh, you know, proceed with caution, if you will.
1: Yes. And so the main thing for me was, you know, my husband was in the military. And so I knew that other people like him couldn't have THC in their system. I didn't want anything that was going to be a failed drug test. So, um, that was a big stipulation. So when we were going through the different raw goods and they were teaching me about all the different like crude oil and, um, what the difference between a full spectrum and an isolate and things like that, I originally chose to formulate with the isolate because I didn't want people to fail a test. And, um, it was also really important to me to know, you know, where was this coming from? So they taught me about the different plant strains and they taught me about the extraction methods. And so I chose, I wanted a CO2 extraction method because, you know, I didn't want any outside chemicals to possibly be in these formulas. So, you know, we were, we were formulating and I was trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to educate these people? And the, you know, I was really just transparent with them. I brought it to the market and I said, you know, nobody really knows a whole lot about this. But I'm just going to sell it to you for a little bit over what it's costing me to produce it. And then I need your feedback because you're going to help me develop both a product line and tell me what it's doing for you. So use it for whatever you feel like, because I can't tell you whether it's going to work or not.
0: Were there some suggestions at the time of like, you know, did your supplier provide you of like, hey, we've seen people who have this have... XYZ benefits in different areas. Was there some like suggested use, although not recommended in any way whatsoever?
1: They only had the epilepsy because that had been tested. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they said pain.
0: Okay. And
1: I knew from my own experience that it had helped my pain. But then we had to explore what types of pain. Was mm-hmm. it just muscle pain? Was it nerve pain? Could it be headaches? Was it menstrual pain? You know, what types of pain did this actually relieve? Um, And then simultaneously, I also had some family members and some acquaintances that told me, what are you doing? You know, this is an illegal substance and you're going to go down. And I didn't care. And at the time I didn't know anything about the farm bill. I just knew that this was a natural medicine that worked and I was willing to do whatever it was that I needed to do to bring it to the people.
0: Did that weigh into your consideration of bringing in not the full spectrum that may, you know, that does have some very small element of, of THC in there, but the isolate that just had um, like the broad spectrum that just had the the CBD as part of that to, to be imported into the country? Was that, or would that have been blocked by import rules even?
1: <sighs> well, there was a lot of import rules that I didn't even consider. Um, that... It was so new at that time, nobody was even looking for it. So, you know, what I was bringing over had no THC. It had no smell. It actually kind of looked like cocaine. I mean, when I first got my isolate, I was like, whoa, if that had been stopped. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Ooh, but
0: hello. they did send
1: it with their certificate of analysis. So if it had been stopped, they would have seen what it was and what company it came from. And um, also, you know, I'm in the South. And people in the South do not think highly of cannabis. And the first thing they were going to say is, is this going to make me high? So I wanted to make sure there was no possibility. So before I even brought it to the market, I made product and gave it to my children, actually, and then took their blood. I actually had a chiropractor who <clears throat> ran the tests to make sure that blood work and urine testing did not come up positive. So gotcha. I knew for sure.
0: Yeah. Just in case guys. Yes. And, just and in case. Any, and if you have anything to declare now is the time ahead of time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: um, okay. So that's interesting. So did you give instructions or like, what is your dosing? When did you take this? Did you give them like little sheets that they can fill out to, to get some good qualitative data back um, from, from Actually, the information? Actually
1: yeah. Um, because, Before we even took it to market, we were also doing tests within my family and with my close friends. And we had an amazing opportunity. One of my friend's husbands had been in the military and had a a traumatic brain injury. And he was having pettinol seizures, um, sometimes 30 a day. And so it it had really impacted his life, you know? And he was trying medications, they were not helping. And so when I said, you know, I've heard that CBD and she researched and she said, Yeah, I've, I'm reading some great things on this. And so we were able to bring our concentration and then dosage really pinpointed on him because we started out with like a 300 milligram concentration and tried, you know, one drop at a time. It really didn't have a lot of effect. And when he got to a full dropper full, it did have an effect. But he said, you know, this is kind of messing my stomach up. There's just a lot of oil I'm taking during the day because now I'm up to four or five times taking this because it does stop it. But this is too much. So we went up in concentration and, you know, went through the whole thing again. And when we hit a 1500 concentration, which is a 50 milligrams per milliliter, he was able to only take three drops and stop the seizures.
0: And no stomach issues as well.
1: No stomach issues because there wasn't – I mean, that's not much oil. Even yeah. if he was taking that five or six times a day, that's still not even a full milliliter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, So that was like the sweet spot. And so we deemed that our heel because that was the effect it seemed to have on people. I like that. And then we did have a 300 milligram concentration because when we were trying it in our family, my husband had a very relaxing – um, experience with it. And it really helped him to relax with that PTSD. And, uh, so we deemed that one relax.
0: I like where the naming came from.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we, we found our different things. Um, and then we, we brought five products to market originally.
0: What were the original, uh, what were the original five?
1: So it was relax metabolize, which was a 500 milligram that had essential oils that helped with your energy. And we found that it really helped with, um, people's appetites and things like that. And then we had heal and we had a skin serum that was just a topical. And then I had a, um, a cream that was a, a topical cream for muscles.
0: So what did that feedback loop look like? So you're selling this stuff. You have some of your, you know, friends and family feedback as you develop your formulations for all these What did that initial sales look like? What do those feedback loops look like? You know, who designed the graphics for all this? Was it called Cats Naturals from the beginning?
1: (laughs) It was called Cats Naturals because that was my original um, little product line that I had played around with when I was younger and used to just... The
0: detergent and the shampoo, those were also called Cats Naturals, the OG stuff? Okay.
1: Exactly. And so we used that original logo, which looked like two leaves. Coming up, which now we still have on our logo.
0: Yep. So you kept that um, going.
1: And it was, it was green and it was a home printer. It was terrible. Terrible. I mean, if the, if the oil would get on it, it would melt, you know? So we had to take really, really good care of these bottles. Yeah.
0: Very, very fine. Careful. Um, so what was the feedback within the community at that point then? So like you're sending this stuff out. You're obviously seeing some results through all this. How did that kind of keep rolling and evolving?
1: It was actually staggering. Um, the stuff that people came back and told us blew our minds. Um, we had people say, you know, I've had a child that has had migraines that caused vomiting and we couldn't get them to stop. And the first time we gave it to them, boom, it was over. Um, and then we had people who said, I haven't slept in years and now I'm sleeping eight hours a day. Um, we had people who said, you know, I've had anxiety and depression and now it's gone. People who got off opiates and I wasn't telling them what to do. You know, I was like, I, I really don't know. Here's some basic guidelines. Here's some dosing. The sky's the limit. Just come back. Um, we actually had people with glaucoma and uh, macular degeneration that had reversals, not complete, but Reversals, um, people with blood pressure problems, which I'm sure was related to stress, mm-hmm. because now that we've been through this long enough, we know it's not going to lower your blood pressure unless you have certain components with it. Yep. Um, people with digestive upsets that it helped, people you know, going through chemotherapy that didn't lose their hair and didn't have one lost day of work from nausea or vomiting while taking CBD in conjunction. I mean just amazing stories. And then to tie back into my anxiety, I was just taking it because I wanted to see what it does for a generally healthy person. I mean, I had no major ailments, nothing going on.
0: You've been cancer-free for a long time.
1: Yeah, long time. And I have lived with anxiety so long, I thought it was just a personality defect. I just don't like other people. I can't help it. You know, I just I can't handle being around them. And during this time, you know, I had been going to market with my my pigs and, and my chickens. But as soon as I would get home, I would have to decompress, and I would have to you know try to deal with the exhaustion from just being out. And then when I had been going with my CBD products. And I had been on, the, on them for probably about three or four months at that point before we finally brought them to market. And I noticed a change in how I felt after being at market or how I was dealing with emotional strains in my everyday life. And it was probably about six months in and my husband was like, you know, you're, you're a different person than you used to be. Why? Why? You know, why are you so much happier? Why are you able to cope with, with this stress? And I was like, I don't know. This is bizarre. <laughs> and so I decided to try stopping CBD. Just to see Mm -hmm. if maybe it was a flute. Maybe I'm just really loving my new job. Yeah,
0: you can love your new job. Meditation could be in. The pigs are just doing the pig things a lot better now. And the kids are got a routine down. Like there could be a lot of other things going on. And, and, you know, work enjoyment could definitely be one of them. So you stopped.
1: So I stopped. Completely stopped. And within about 10 days, I felt that familiar feeling Mm -hmm. where it's almost like you take – the blinders off and all of a sudden everything looks a little darker or, you know, people's emotions affect me more. I'm incapable of sifting through the, the data, you know, and processing it. And so I was like, wow, if I start taking this and it changes back, we know for sure
0: that this is what, this
1: was. was what it was. And sure enough, Three days back on, I started feeling better again. And I was like, oh my goodness, Hmm. this is it. This was the missing component of my life. And so here we are, full circle.
0: That's a bold statement right there. Wow. Yeah. So you're a believer, you're into this, you're getting great feedback from your customers, the community. Um, things are going gangbusters for you. When did this become a primary focus for you guys, as far as the business goes, when did we get rid of the inkjet printer labels (laughs) and maybe find a co-packing yurt somewhere, uh, that you could set these things up with?
1: So, um, 2016, one of our customers who was in our experiments, she was a designer And she came to me and she said, You know, the products are kind of expensive, and me and my daughter are using them. So, what would you think about a trade? And so she said, You know, I'll design you some new logos and some new images. And in exchange, we get as many products as, you know, this merits. And I was like, Yeah, that sounds great. And six months later, what we look like now, she had created. Wow. And then, We wanted, I had seen some painted bottles and I really liked that, you know, that durability. And I had, you know, found that company in Chattanooga. And it turned out that he was an amazing company that helps people who um, live in an economic suppressed area, um, helps minorities. And we also did a trade. Because you know, I'm I'm bootstrapping it. I, yeah, I took three thousand dollars and started this company, you know. <clears throat> so we um we made a deal and he printed our first five hundred of every bottle. And I had these bottles everywhere in my house. You know, all of a sudden I'm in a warehouse.
0: <laughs> yeah. F- find a room. I mean, you got four kids, so there's not much you know, and you're in a home. So there's six people living there and there's not much place to expand. So right. find a find a closet, find something. Let's get a color. Yep.
1: So we actually turned the original house on the property into our warehouse and office space. Okay. And then in 2017, um, a couple of guys in Chattanooga found us and said, hey, we want to grow your business. We want to go in with you. And so they said, you know, we'll put money in. We'll, we'll each put in 15000 and we'll run marketing and you manufacture the products. And so, you know, we drew up some contracts, we started an e-commerce site, and started an affiliate program. And I remember when I got my first 11 orders, I was like, oh my gosh, where, how do I ever. ship these? What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> so, so we had to get, you know, a shipping program um, to keep up, because from that first 11 orders, you know, the next day was 27 orders. The next day was 40 the next day, you know, and, and within six months we were getting up to 500 orders a day. It was insane. Um, so I, I looked for a co-packer and so I'm going around and I'm, I'm, you know, checking out all these different co-packers and, and I did meet our extractor who we still work with, um, at a, convention it was the 2017 first hemp convention that was held in chattanooga and so we partnered up she was in nashville and she was willing to make my formulas the way i wanted them because you know it was important to me that all of this data that we had gathered i wanted to make sure somebody was doing it right and so we hired her she started making our formulations um we actually added a full spectrum that year because she said you know we've got to have one because you know data is showing that that full plant is beneficial if people don't mind the THC just put a disclaimer on it
0: with the entourage effect for for all the chemicals working together right did that relationship end with the dutch company
1: yes okay yes
0: so because at I- this
1: point you know it was legal here there was enough farmers growing in the U S you know, between the farm bill in 2014. And then here we are fast forward to 2017 and you know, we met several farmers that were in Tennessee as well as some in Colorado and a company in uh, California
0: mm-hmm. that
1: we did business with. Okay. Um, so yeah, we had all American grown at that point point.
0: And how does this relationship then kick off? So it's your formulations, your kind of IP, if you will, in your head, and mm-hmm. they're contracting out to different farms, growing it. They're doing the processing of it in the way that you want, still using CO two, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, and they're taking care of the packaging and all the logistical back of office items. For well,
1: no, they weren't doing the packaging. Okay. So- That was where we were looking for some co-packers and I had noticed just the conditions that the products were sitting in. They were in hot warehouses and that has a negative effect on cannabinoids. You know, they actually change. So you may have some CBD in there and then in a hot condition, you're going to change that cannabinoid into something else or the THC is going to convert into CBN. You know, I wanted my formulas to stay pristine. So I had no other choice but then to start a manufacturing plant. So that's what I did.
0: If you can't find it, make it, right? Right. I love the, right. I love the entrepreneurial spirit on that one. So how did that come about then? So-, so we
1: built our first manufacturing plant, and it was just two bottling machines. And I hired my first employees. I hired three people. And um, we, we had built what we thought would hold us for at least a year, you know? And three months later, we had to double the building. And three months after that, we decided to move to town because this was going to get really expensive. Yeah. So we rented a 9,000 square foot uh, facility with offices. We hired more people. And I think at that point we were at about seven employees when we first moved to, to town And then within a year, we had outgrown that place. So that did last us at least a year. And we were up to 21 employees. We have two branches, one in Vancouver, Washington, where we house the um, design and marketing team. Mm -hmm. And then the manufacturing team and office team are in Dunlap. And now we're in a 16,000 square foot facility. And we run nine machines, And we have a full shipping and logistics department and our accountant and our accounts receivable. And it's it's a family. I mean, my employees are amazing.
0: Yeah. The town of Dumblap must love you guys. I mean, you created this little, um, what is now a very growing, very remarkable business there. So you must really love it too, because you seem very happy.
1: I do love it. I mean, there's been some hard knocks for sure. Um, This story has definitely
0: exemplified that.
1: Yeah, and we've gone through a lot as a CBD company.
0: Um, Curious, I mean, I have a background with you know e-commerce and POS and processing systems. Um, you know, up until very recently, the name brand ones like Shopify and Square were not allowing processing no. for CBD. That was quite recently. I think that was within like the last six months or so. Yeah. Um, How many different e-commerce sites have you gotten kicked off of? How many different processing accounts have you got closed? Which I'm sure none of the, you know, some of the smaller of your items, but you can't get business in the door.
1: Yeah, that um, we've been through 15 credit card processors. Um, Luckily, only one site. We've had to rebuild it a couple of times um, for functionality as we've grown our companies Mm because we did open up like um, B2B business. And so we needed a wholesale ordering platform within it. You know, we run affiliates, we run, you know, individuals that we're trying to do special discounts for like veterans and people who are disabled. Um, So we have all these different components, but our credit card processing has been one of our biggest challenges. Um, And the last time we lost our processor during the Elevon shutdown, um, we were down for six months. And wow. if we hadn't squirreled away a lot of working capital, we would have had to close our doors. But um, our wholesalers wow. held us up and, you know, we we pushed all of our e-commerce business. But then when we opened back up our e-commerce um, in, I guess it was November of this year or mm-hmm. last year, um, we lost quite a few of our customers who just said, you know, I can't find a place nearby. I just got to move on. So, it's it's been a challenge. It's been amazing, but
0: yeah.
1: we're still here. We're still kicking.
0: <laughs> and, and now we're fighting and now we're fighting through COVID. Um yeah. Yeah. and as as we work through different, you know, life and logistical and, and especially health challenges as well. Did you solve some of the e-commerce problems by being able to have your products in a lot of markets around the country. I noticed even here in New Jersey, there's a lot of very close places that have your products within there. Did that help? Yes,
1: we were very glad that we had set that up because that was a debate um, with my original business partner because he said, you know, I I don't want to go into wholesale. There's a whole logistics behind that and we lose margin. And and I said, I think it's important because Mm -hmm. we don't want all of our eggs in one basket. Um, And so I decided to do it since i was majority partner and it actually paid off later on
0: when you didn't uh, have an e-commerce site for yeah
1: yeah they saved us because you know we could say hey you can go get it here and we set up with a couple of online um direct cbd took a lot of our e-commerce for people who didn't have a store location that was close by um but i think both sides of of a business is is so important
0: Yeah. And it's great for product discovery. And if they like your stuff, they could still order that online. Mm -hmm. So on your website and also related with CBD, it's, you know, there's this asterisk that's always there is these statements have not been Mm -hmm. evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, prevent any disease. If you have a medical condition or take pharmaceutical drugs, please consult your physician before use. Keep out of reach of children. Store CBD products in a cool and dry place away from light. When do you think that statement is going to no longer need to be included?
1: I don't know that it ever will. Um, even if we're deemed a supplement, we're still going to have to keep that disclaimer. Mm-hmm. Um, as a pharmaceutical, you wouldn't need that disclaimer, but then you may take us out of the reach of a lot of people, or take the the entrepreneurial spirit away from CBD, which I feel like is such a major part of the cannabis plant you know, people are passionate about it. And Mm -hmm. if you take that passion away from it and give it to the pharmaceuticals so that we can take away that disclaimer, you're going to lose the heart behind it. Um, So even if we have to leave that, the fact that, you know, people like you and other interviewers, magazines, newspapers, um, you know, just individuals are spreading the word. I, I mean, it's It is truly night and day from 2014 until now where nobody knew what it was and Mm -hmm. they were afraid of it to it's pretty much a household name and most people can Google it and get more information that you even know what to do with
0: Exactly. And that's the problem. It, it is a is a huge flow of information. There's so many things we can get into now, but we've I wanted to share your story today and I really think you did an exceptional job sharing that. So thank you for for doing that. I have two very quick closing questions for you. Okay. Are there any cannabis or non-cannabis founders that you follow that inspire you?
1: Actually, yes. So like everybody else, Charlotte's Web. I just love their company. I mean, I've I've tried to do a lot of the things that they're doing, but also learning from some of their mistakes and things that I think I can improve on. And in return, they compete with us, which is quite an honor, yeah. you know? <laughs> I yeah, love I, it. I get
0: it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so So them and then a new company that I've really started to enjoy is another female a company called the garden society and they're actually full cannabis out of California, but I love the way they have such heart and they really tried to bring the THC into uh, a user friendly, easy low dose um, application so that people could find their proper dose, which is a lot of how we do it. You know, we believe in microdosing, and and every individual being um, you know, different. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, those two companies are, are the ones I like the most. And I think I would also say Medterra because I really like their founder. I think she's a great gal and I've, I've had the opportunity to meet her and talk to her. And and I I like it.
0: Well, maybe we'll see if we can get her on the show someday. That would be cool. We love sharing the founder's journey. And I've really enjoyed our time today. As I said, how can people connect with, with you uh, and Cats Naturals in the future?
1: Well, you can always come and visit us on our website at catsnaturals.com. And if you wanted to speak with me personally, um, you can always email me at cat, K-A-T, at catsnaturals.com. I still answer all of my own emails and sometimes you just have to be a little patient, but I'm going to get to it.
0: (laughs) This turned out exceptionally well.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to Lit Up, A Founder's Journey. Links from today's episode are available in our show notes. If you received any value from today's episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. You can connect with us on social media at Lit Up Founders or email us at feedback at litupmedia.com. I'm your host, Brian Weber. Thanks for sharing the journey. Thanks for listening to Kat Merrifield's Founder's Journey. Just a quick reminder from my note at the beginning for our listeners, they're offering 15% off site wide, and that's including free shipping using promo code LITUP. That's L I T U P at catsnaturals.com. Enjoy.